You are listening to the Remotepreneurs Podcast. Here, you'll learn how to adapt to a new future of doing business remotely by listening to interviews with the new breed of entrepreneurs called Remotepreneurs. Now, welcome your host, a remotepreneur that came from the factories to building multiple location independent incomes all remotely, Philip Bill Stankowski. Welcome to the Remote Preneurs Podcast. By now, you probably know that I believe that the new entrepreneurs are remote preneurs, and the purpose of the podcast is just to talk with successful people that done and earn money remotely, hiring remotely, outsourcing, using the internet to create a bigger business. And also everybody's trying to escape the old school way of doing business and also the trap and all the myths that were created and were taught by the school. In this episode, we do have a special guest that actually is responsible for having the past dozens of interviews here in Chiang Mai. He personally invited me without knowing me to his villa. So here I'm staying for probably around three weeks so far, and the interviews are done in in the villa. The place is huge. I'm really grateful. I appreciate uh, his invitation. We do have an interesting story how we actually met through another friend, through another platform, through Upwork. And later in the interview, we are going to a little bit discuss. So I want to share his way and opinion, how I interact and how I approach his friend Martin and also him. He also personally helped me a lot to meet a lot of here important digital nomads and schedule a speech on that I already done in the Nomad Coffee in Food for Thought. So I'll also will be sharing that link. He comes from Bulgaria. That's a neighborhood country of Macedonia. He's been abroad probably around 10 years so far. Two, three years, he's considering himself a digital nomad. He was involved with multiple businesses. He currently runs two businesses. And also he's a college dropout. <laughs> he said that he wasn't believing in the, in the school, in the environment. So he just decided to leave Bulgaria, I assume Sofia, and then just go to London and try to figure out who is he. So guys, in this interview, I would like to introduce Spaf. As I said, I'm really appreciated and grateful to be to be staying here in the villa. I think that this is probably one of the best places here in Chiang Mai, and he introduced me with amazing people. So, Buff. Thank you very much for being here. This is probably one of the best introductions I've ever got, like, given interviews. For sure. <laughs> so, thanks a lot. Thanks for, for being here. Yeah, well, I was preparing here <laughs> for, for you, I mean, especially. <laughs> I'm, I'm delighted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's really, really helpful. Okay, so Puff, I gave a brief introduction, a summary of what I know about you. Can you share us a little bit of your backstory, how, how everything happened, like from moving from Sofia or from mm-hmm. Bulgaria? Sure. So <laughs> we really have to rewind back probably 10 years ago, roughly. At the time I was first in university in, in Varna, which was the kind of the coastal, okay. uh, one of the coastal cities, Varna and Burgas. I was a first-year student in Vadna, and, you know, you do the typical things that every student does in their first year. You go out, you get, you know, partying, and then girls or boys, if, if you're a girl, obviously, just getting drunk and not really kind of caring too much about the universe. 
at the time, I really had two very, very close friends that I've known. Martin is one of them that I've known for 23 years now. The other guy I've known for, well, pretty much neighbors. So it's a very small town that I came from. Both of them had very interesting ideas about life and perspectives about life and the future that they want in the lives that they want to be living. So it just so happened that whilst I was in university in Varna, both of them actually decided to leave Bulgaria. Oh. Something that I was considering at one point, but I was really afraid. I was just like, I'm not good enough. Why would I go out? I'm going to fail. It's going to be very difficult, etc., etc. Slowly, almost like all of my really, really good close friendships, I kind of slowly like being, not, not I would say removed, but just slowly leaving my kind of immediate grasp. So I'm thinking, something isn't right here. And then... I wake up one day and I realize, wow, I'm actually surrounded by people that I don't really inspire me in any way, shape, or form. And this this is somewhere in the, my in in the bra- the background, somewhere in my mind. I'm like, wow, what what would it be if I actually leave everything else? So I st- seriously started c- contemplating that, and the more and more I started interacting with people, the more I realized, wow, this is really not my place. I'm I really want to chase greatness. So. And at the same time, I think what really gave me also this initial um, kind of final push to really make the decision is when I kind of announced to my friends, hey, you know what? I'm actually considering dropping out, going to London by myself. I said, what? Why would you go there? It's very, very difficult. Uh, It's going to be incredibly expensive. You won't have anything to do there. I'm like, okay, you know what? Screw it. So the next day I went to university. I told them, you know, I'm going to quit. I told my mom and dad. Fortunately enough, they were a little bit shocked, but I think they were relatively very supportive. And um, that's that's how things really started for me. I was just like, okay, a month later, no, three weeks later, I was on a plane to London, my first plane ever. Okay. I was terrified. For that, I, oddly enough, I had a, a doctor checked for my eyes. Okay. So they put these eye drops and I really couldn't see anything in front of me. So my, my pupils were dilated. And I'm on this plane, I'm thinking, my gosh, what am I doing? I'm landing there, I'm waiting for someone to pinch me, and I magically wake up in my bed thinking, what have I done just with my life right now? So a little bit of a culture shock. They stopped me at the at the border, at the police, thinking that I'm a drug guy or something because they see yeah. my pupils. I'm super, <laughs> super confused. I cannot explain. I cannot speak English. And uh, I was just like, what the hell did I get myself into? And then after, I think, Three weeks, I was like in depression and like, what am I doing with my life? And yeah, all these kind of things. So that's kind of the, the really the, the condensed story of what happened uh, <laughs> before. Nice, nice. So when, <laughs> when you were in the plane with the dilated eyes, yeah. you were like, wow, is this the, the how you, you ride an airplane? <laughs> yeah, every single time we get some turbulence, I'm just like, oh yeah, I don't want to die, I don't want to die. Just like, <laughs> like this, like this. I've never experienced uh, a, a plane before. So it was um, like a stack of new experiences all the time. Like I cannot see anything. People are talking me, talking in English. I'm replying in Bulgarian. Uh, I was just like, oh, excuse me, excuse me. Then, and I'm not really used to talking in in a in a foreign language, even though I kind of studied it in, in uh-huh. school. If you don't really practice, you kind of lose it. So, yeah, it was. Uh, and then you land in a totally different, you know, airport, surrounded by different people. I. Like it took me maybe an hour to figure out how do I get out of the place, even though everything is like like written down for a five-year-old. Yeah. For me to wait for my friend, how is he gonna, you know, find me in like this humongous place? And then I just panic a little bit and just be like, whoa, what did I get myself into? 
So yeah, that was a quite an experience. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Martin, for screwing me. <laughs> Did you tell that, honestly? No, no, no. It was, it, it, no, no, no. It wasn't. It wasn't really Martin. It was actually George. Martin ah, actually was guy. in. Um, Martin was actually in in uh, the Netherlands. Ah, Netherlands. Yeah, and my my friend George was actually in there. So I'm like, okay, like let's you know go together there. Then we go to a place. Um, it's a five bedroom, or really four bedroom converted to a five bedroom house. Okay. And I'm living with eleven people in there. Oh, okay. So. One bathroom, one toilet, everybody's Bulgarian there, so it's not really the type of yeah. place I want to be at. So I'm like, what did I just get myself into? I'm like totally unprepared. I'm thinking I'm going for to a vacation. I've got some t-shirts on and it's like, you know, maybe 10 degrees outside. So I'm freezing. I'm like, what? Like, what am I like? Really just like, this was like a huge slap in the face. Like what's happening? So yeah, reality and then expectations. Yeah, that, that's something that a lot of people miss. Especially in the remote lifestyle, mm. reality and expectation. <laughs> yeah. Well, boy, did, did it hit me hard. Yeah. But did you learn a lesson during the trip <sighs> and um, the experience? I, I I keep saying I keep telling friends or you know when I give interviews or talks that that was probably the best decision I've made in my life. Period. Especially I think for a man, it, it's something called the rites of passage, where you kind of being really taken away from mother and father and really uh -huh. dropped somewhere that you're kind of. Surrounded by new people, a new environment, it's a bit of a cultural shock. That was be the best decision I ever made. Like really, that gave me that spark and that put me on this, you know, on this learning curve and of growth and, as I like to call them, character building experiences. That looking back, like I don't see any other option but for me doing this over and over again. So there's so many lessons. Like learn, I've, I've grown so much in the last in the last four years. Maybe compared to all my 26 years before. So, in, in, invaluable experiences. Really, you cannot put a price on that. Yeah. Would you say that compared with if you've been to the university and just getting in the real life and going in, in London and doing all the things that you were afraid but eventually you learned, what, what would be the best option? Like learn it like theoretically in the school or just like go in the... And the more I realized, because afterwards I had to go back to university oh, okay. because to, to please, kind of please mom and dad. And I think it was also probably a good thing for me because I was really the guy that was actually trying to get my... At the, the same time, I had this immigrant mentality. So okay. the moment I stepped into university, I was only thinking, okay, what, where, what can we make money with? <laughs> so I yeah, started sending a gazillion things. But to, to come back to your question, I realized the more and more I kind of gain a lot more self-awareness and what really works for me I realized that it would have been totally night and day if I just had a university experience and even at, whilst I was university I was still working I was a bartender and a, okay. you know um, you know ordering drinks and a waiter uh, that type of thing but for me the way the, the way I learn the best is when actually I start someone shows me something and I get my hands dirty rather okay. than just endless theory and just what would it be what would it you know what would it be like if I was to do something like that? So, yeah, for me, it's nice. I'm more of a practical guy. Yeah, the, the best way to, to learn is uh, through experience. I'm in sales and most of it, it's practical. You need to do the call. You need to talk. Exactly, exactly. You can learn all the pitches. There's only so much training you can do, but really the rubber meets the road when you get on the phone and start dialing. Yeah, and you start to sound like a robot. But yeah, part of it, part of it. I've been there. Yeah, yeah, everybody was there.
Just another thing I want to tell listeners in Macedonia, and I believe in, in Bulgaria it's similar. All the young people believe that if you have to succeed, you should leave the country. That's at least the, the way how Maced- young people Macedonian believe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They believe that the only way to succeed is to leave the country. Mm-hmm. That's what's happening. Is, is it similar in Bulgaria? Because we are neighbors, so I assume. To, to, be, to be honest, like, I have a little bit of a skewed perspective on this since I haven't been living there for yeah. quite a long time. People sometimes take the, you know, take the mic or just make jokes with me. Oh, you're not Bulgarian anymore. No, I am, but it's just I'm so much so detached from the culture. So I'm actually looking forward to going back to Bulgaria right now to live there for a month to kind of explore a little bit. Like yeah. <laughs> every single time I'm in Sofia, I'm like fascinated. This is like a new town, like a new city. Like, yeah, so... I think I think it's there. There is a similar similar case where people were actually believing that you know you can either succeed by living abroad or maybe doing things that probably aren't strictly speaking legal. Yeah, um, similar. But again, it's, it, these are generalizations. I think yeah. you cannot really put everybody in the same pot. But uh, yeah, I, I, I sense that there is a, also a similar thing there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what happened after after London? I mean, you came back to finish university or start university and then what happened? So many things like I was working in so many old jobs before I got to university even in university I was the go-to guy for anything extracurricular okay so we need to stay an extra just to arrange some tables sign me up we need to do some kind of an update on the website of the college sign me up oh we need to do some kind of an interview I'll volunteer for that okay like any single, like I, I won a bunch of awards because of that, because I was um, really trying to get my hands into every single extracurricular thing that I, I could. Uh, a bit of money here, no problem, I, I'll, I'll do it, whatever. And at the time, I was like really wanted to start working for like a company just to see what it's like. So I, I was on the sandwich here. So it means university for two years, one year industrial placement basically when you go and work full-time in a company okay and then one year back to university so i was fortunate enough because at the time i've done so many things i was way ahead of my peers in terms of like things that i've done i was working for three weeks on paid job in an office just to see what it's like answering phones and Mm -hmm. like trembling with shaky shaky voice i was trying to do internships placements anything that i could really get my hands on so at the time i applied for Disney, Walt Disney. Okay. They have a big office in Hammersmith in London. Okay. And I got on. That was my first first application that I sent. I got an invitation for an interview. I sent a couple more like applications. Again, got those as well. But decided, okay, Disney is the place to be. So I ended up working there for a year, and that really opened my eyes to a what kind of really the corporate, so to speak, machine looks like. Okay. How slowly you begin to sink in in this kind of sense of comfort and you're being taken care of, you're being paid. You, you know, you, your work is relatively not stressful, though for me it was quite stressful because I had to manage a team and I've never really done that before. And you're kind of getting paid a salary that really kind of meets most of your needs, especially for a 22, 23-year-old guy. But when things really begin to change for me is when I was reading The 4-Hour Workweek by okay. Tim Ferriss. That book just blew my mind away. This is kind of pretty much still the, the Bible for most remote preneurs or digital nomads. I think he really kind of started this movement. So in the book, there was a chapter called Being Unrealistic 
yeah, being super unrealistic. And the whole premise is that most people shoot for really goals that are super, super, very easy, very achievable. And by definition, you have a lot of competition, people shooting for the same thing. True. And if you have, if you're shooting for way at the top, where most people wouldn't do because they're afraid they're going to fail and all these kind of, you know, bullshit things we keep telling ourselves, there won't be that much of a competition. And the, the likelihood of you being more, quote unquote, successful with that is much greater. At the time, naturally being curious to see how this big machine works, I started asking people for interview. I'm a very chatty cat, as you can probably see. I like yeah. to really talk. <laughs> that, that's the professional bullshitter. But so I started interviewing managers. Okay, okay. so tell me about well, how did you come? Similar to what, like a podcast, if you will, but I wasn't recording it. I was yeah. just writing down and just listening, almost soaking every single word. I was like a sponge. You put me in there, I just soak everything in. Like, whatever, you, well, what is it that you're doing right now? Okay, so how did you start with this? How did you get promoted? Just tell me about this. So that went from a manager to a director, which kind of became a kind of a mentor, if okay. you will. Then I interviewed the senior vice president. I just asked him, hey, you, uh, he was like a two meter, meters tall guy. I'm like shaking right there. Hey, do you mind if I interview you for a little bit? I did all my research afterwards on him went on Facebook and see all these kind of things. Anyway, so that went ahead and then I realized, okay, I'm just reading this book right now, being unrealistic and really shoot for the top. Okay. And I was like, okay, let's shoot for the CEO. So I sent the CEO at the time was Emir, the number three guy probably in the whole company, 150,000 people. Wow. So I sent them an email. Basically, I took a concept from the book and applied it to Disney. So he was at the... To give a little bit more background to this, he was giving this really huge speech at uh, Leicester Square in one of the big theaters. Like the whole company has been there, like two, three thousand people. And he's addressing the public right now. Mm-hmm. So you probably haven't heard about this book. It's called Good to Great by Jim Collins. Okay. I'm like, oh, I actually read, I remember this book. So what I did was I put my headphones during my lunch breaks for um, one week. I was listening to the book and I was thinking, okay, what can I take from the book? Apply it to Disney and send it to him as an email. Before I, I, I click send, I kind of realized, okay, what's the Hedgecock concept? I applied it to Disney because it was something, a book that he actually read. Mm-hmm. And um, before I'm sending the email, I'm thinking, okay, can, can this actually get me fired? Like, yeah. I'm, I'm an intern right now. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? Maybe my manager is going to yell at me or something like this. So I click send. And then with, within two days, he came back. He replied to me, says, oh, sorry for taking so long to come back, you know, to reply back to your email. I said, don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he said, I would person off to meet you and, you know, walk you through for 30 minutes. And I just started, uh, just like, what? This is fucking crazy. This is actually possible. That's actually, Martin tells me that that's the thing that really impacted him the most to become a digital nomad. Okay. Yeah. So that, that moment there, of seeing that a, a boy from a you know a third world country almost uh, from a very very small town can go there and really make something like this happen that really shifted my perspective. Oh shit, this is this is actually possible. This is not reserved for some you know select few people out there. This yeah. is actually possible. So that really changed everything. So you broke through your old beliefs. I have similar beliefs because similar background. And once you experienced, I mean. To get the third person in Disney, that's like, wow, it's amazing. It's just shift your, your perspective and the beliefs. Wow, what's next possible? Right? Yeah. Something like that? For sure. 
for sure, for sure. At the time, I had a lot of limiting beliefs. I always, almost had this anxiety every single time something business related. I approach it, I, I really, really start shaking. Like I had so much anxiety and like fear of success, and I'm not good enough, and yeah. all these you know things that we keep telling ourselves, like the conversations that you wouldn't allow anybody else to have with you or to tell you these things. At the same time, that was just like, wow, this is a reference experience that I have under my belt right now. You know, you cannot take it away from you. So start start build, building on that, like really refer back to it. And, you know, this was possible. Let's 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 spend a little bit more time on this. And at the same time, I hired the coach because I was trying to build a. That's another thing people don't know that whilst I was working in Disney during the lunch breaks, I was making phone calls to do to build a SaaS company, software oh, okay. as a service. I hired this coach. I spent all my savings from Disney. I was just like, okay, on to the next thing. And I was calling estate agents to try to understand what's the most painful problem that they're having right now that they have to do manually with the things that they spend the most time on. So I can build, ask them to pay for the software that I'm going to build, outsource it to some guy in Upwork, and then it's more of a recurring software service. So I basically hired this coach and he was working with me and that really also helped me to kind of overcome a lot of limiting beliefs and like shaking and... Yeah, that, that, was a, that was a big thing. So all of this kind of really got me into this kind of momentum. And afterwards, I never really stopped or looked back. So we, when you mentioned coach, like where did you got the idea of coach? Like to pay somebody to, to teach you his experience pretty much. How did you come up with that idea? Sure. So at the same time, like at the time I'm reading this, I'm really, my perspective is being shifted and open to this whole new, almost like underground world, okay. right? Passive income, this yeah. like the buzzword. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can make money whilst I sleep. Like for most people, that that's like rich dad, poor dad. For me, it was Tim Ferriss because it was way more practical and like backed with case studies and data and really kind of almost like a step by step how to and how to do something this or replicate it. So I started looking online and then somehow I came on this uh, course by I don't remember the, the guy's name right now, but Dwayne Maxwell, okay, uh, uh, the foundation. Okay. So they were teaching exactly the software as a service. So he was interviewing one guy, this uh, this guy called, my gosh, I forgot his name. <laughs> Sorry if you're watching, man. Matej, Matej. Okay. So here I think he's from uh, Slovenia. Mm-hmm. So indirectly, okay, st- straight, uh, send, him, send him a message and ask him about the whole experience. What was it like? Because he, what he, he did was... He found Dwayne Maxwell's house mm-hmm. and sent him an uh, sent, sent him a, a, an email. Okay, and he, like to do it for free, and then he ended up doing something like this. Instead of having to pay all this money, he volunteered his work okay. because he was so proactive. He found the guy. Anyway, so I sent this email, this guy an email. Say, hey man, tell me about like I'm I'm so and so. I work in this company. Or I'm tr- I want to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, tell me all about it. So he said, oh, yeah, okay, let's set, set up a call. So I'm like, okay, this guy's like super open. So we end up on a call and he starts pitching me. <laughs> I'm like, wait, I didn't sign up for that. So I eventually end up buying coaching from him. Yeah. I mean, it's like, okay, so success leaves clues, right? Like yes. why not learn from someone else, obviously pay them for. And most people, what they get wrong about when they're working with a coach, it's, yes, the money is going for the coach and that's all fine and good. But actually what the money really represents is your commitment to something. Uh, the way the, the way I see it, the way I saw it at the time, and afterwards I say to people, you know, don't do work for free because, or don't, you know, give your work for free because people wouldn't value it so much. True. So if you were to pay for something, there's no so much. Oh, this guy makes so much money. No, it's your commitment as to how committed you are to actually doing X, Y, Z. So basically, if you pay, 
to a coach, let's say a high ticket, $1,000 plus doesn't mm-hmm. matter, you're going to be committed. If you pay, let's say, I know Udemy has like 10 bucks courses, probably you mm-hmm. will not do it, right? Again, I don't want to give blanket statements, but sometimes, yeah, the more you pay, I'll give you an example also. I, I wanted to learn NLP. That also changed okay. really my life, like neurolinguistic programming. Applying that to sales, that really changed my perspective, changed my life. I don't say this about a lot of things, but that was one of the things that just blew me out of the water. Same thing as well. I was just like, okay, I'm willing to negotiate. Uh, the, the course at the time was 10 days for 1,200 pounds. Okay. But the first time I went there, because I've been to a few seminars, I just told the guy during the brunch break, I'm going to do whatever it takes to work for you for free. I don't care. Whatever you tell me, I'm going to do it. So, and then for the next 23 or 24 weekends, every weekend I was there. And then uh, that's how I managed to invest again in myself, invested like six or 700 pounds to get a course. And then, yeah, so don't be afraid to, to pay for stuff. Like people, people get this wrong, but there's no better investment than investing in yourself, especially right now, like where everybody's like getting people getting in this, you know, full sense of security that being a, a job really means anything. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. So we kind of got on a lot of tangents no, no, no. right now, but um, it's great. I the, the, the key message, I think, is just don't be, don't be afraid to invest in yourself. That's the best investment you're ever going to make. I mean, we do need investment. Uh, I see that you've changed your mind through personal development, through coaches, webinars, seminars, well, I mean, books, a lot similar see? here. I had a problem to, to you know, pay for somebody to share me a knowledge. I mean, that's weird in Macedonia. Same here. I had to Same change here. my belief. Like, wow, to pay $1,000 to one guy, I mean, it's like too much. Mm. It's like one year of university in my country. But actually, instead of going one year after I started doing coaching and also paying high-ticket coaching sessions, I realized that instead of paying a professor that finished school 60 years ago and he's talking about subjects when the di- dinosaurs were alive, and I mean, <laughs> no, no real no, applicable knowledge. No practical. Yeah. I'll just, let's say, spend two, three weeks, four weeks, eight weeks with some guy or a coaching program or my mastermind group and you will learn like 10 times more. One of them was Grant Cardone, for example. Like, Can't argue with that. Yeah, Can't 1K. He give you the university coaching calls every week. A lot of people network. I mean, it really changes, and it's worth it definitely. No, no, that's what I want. Hands down, to hands down. Like, I'm gonna go as far to say that if you're studying business, and this is something that I'm gonna get hate for, but if you're studying business in your university, I think you should quit straight away. That's no way to learn business at all. Like, from from all the people that I spoke with, people. Yes, they maybe they graduated, but afterwards they started doing their own thing. But I think you can really accelerate it if you, and I get it, it's not for everyone, I'm totally cool with that. But I think you're gonna, your curve is going to go like this if you were to really do practical stuff. Even if you're at university, at least do something on the side like I did and some of my other friends did. Because professors that with this really old school methodology or just way of teaching, like people need to understand that the educational system hasn't changed for two, three, four hundred years. Yeah. And all these kind of things in practice, really the, the practical side is really, for, for the most part, is really not there. So especially if you're learning business, really you should be out of the classroom rather than in it. Exactly. You need a real example, real practice. Mm-hmm. You, need, you mm-hmm. need to be on the phone. You need to reach up. That's one of the, the good ways that you learn from Tim Ferriss. Just mm-hmm. do 
things that you're afraid. That's what, uh, what, that's my indication. If I'm afraid to do that, I'll just do it because Same that's here. the right thing. Same here, brother. That, there you uh, go. Booyah. Like coming to Chiang Mai and starting the podcast. I think, mm-hmm. don't have a clue. Probably I still don't have a clue, but I'll figure it out. So if but you're man, you're doing it. So you yeah. wait. People, people always, oh, but I need to be perfect. Like I had this, this uh, kind of false belief again. It's always like the same thing. You don't need to be perfect. You want to start something too perfect. Yeah. Commit first, figure it out later. That's my okay. saying. Sure. I learned that from Grant. It's not my actual saying, <laughs> but I just. No, no, no. It, it ma- makes sense. Makes sense. And another reach out. Uh, I can give you another, another example if you want. At the time, I was learning about this, uh, again, Tim Ferriss guy, his name is Vince Wong. Okay. So, remotepreneur, made a lot of money. So, he was starting this uber cool, super slick system called the suitcase system. Okay. Project 5, 1%, where you get like financial freedom. And at the time, I had no idea what it is. It turns out it's like high-ticket dropshipping, right? Okay. So, I, I, tr- I, I don't know what I did, but I tried to find this guy, email, uh, Facebook, message him on any platform, just say, I'll do whatever it takes, just let me in this program. Like, I'm thinking that's my, you know, silver bullet, that's my ticket to freedom, and <laughs> this is whilst I'm in university still, my final year of university, so I didn't really stop with any of these businesses. So, I remember something happening, I couldn't check out and then they closed the program, right? Because it's like they reached the maximum. I, I was devastated. So I started, I think I sent them 23 consecutive emails okay. every single day. You followed up? Yeah. He said no to me twice and I was like, man, this guy doesn't really understand so I'm going to send another email. <laughs> I sent a couple of videos of me committing and then what, what I eventually ended up doing is I told him, hey man, I have this NLP background and he said, oh, maybe this is something that's going to be interesting to, to help with the audience. Instead of me paying for the whole system, I paid for the, the initial input, and then I was just helping them out throughout the whole course, so I got it for free. Okay, nice one. So having, you know, again, to come to your point, really being able to follow up and how important this is, because these people are busy. Like, even people come to me and says, hey, man, maybe we should do something like this. Okay? Yeah. And then... Crickets, silence. Like, okay, come, come to me. Like, I'm not gonna chase you because you told me you have a good idea, uh, or people asking for mentorship, or even right now, oh, let's talk, let's talk. I do FBI, do drop shipping, yada yada yada. Okay, like, tell me what you wanna, like, what is it that you wanna talk about, rather than me having to chase you. No, it's not gonna happen. Like, yeah. you have to be persistent. Most people, when they hear no, they give up straight away. That's yeah. a very soft generation, I think. Even my gener, our generation is very soft. So we need to be a little bit more. You know, toughen. Yeah, and and you just need to to understand that rejection is part of success. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, Grant Cardone says uh, to come from no to yes, you will need a maybe. So just change the maybe, like you did, mm-hmm. like twenty three follow ups, etc. No, no problem. Like for me, no problem. I can I have this a little bit immigrant mentality, and I think there was a quote. I can't remember who it was, but it was something like the master has failed more than the student has tried. Nice one. So even right now, I'm doing jiu-jitsu right now, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm getting tapped left and right, but I know that my, my coach, for example, has done maybe 10 or 20 times more, so keeps your ego in check as well. Yeah, that's a nice quote. That's a nice quote. And I definitely agree that, the, unfortunately, the younger generation that should lead this, this world forward is a little bit soft. Well, why do you think? How did that happen to be Actually, soft? people think that our generation is very spoiled. I think we actually have so much pressure on... The more I realize, you know, with millennials, oh, they're so spoiled, they're so this mm-hmm. and that, but people don't actually realize how much pressure our generation feels. 
especially right now in the age of social media, you're comparing yourself all the time. There's so much depression. We're lacking social skills. People seeing Instagram thinking that there's the lifestyle that people are leading inside that actually, yeah. you know, uh, hollow. There's nothing in there. And people are just quietly in depression. Like I, I've been depressed multiple times. I've been through burnouts and you don't really see any of that on social media. I mean, I've cried in front of camera. Like I'm, I've, I've invested a lot of time in myself to do this work, but it's partially because people don't really try. People tell them something in the very beginning. Oh, you cannot do this. And then, okay, that's it. Like there needs to be a little bit of gusto. There needs to be a little bit this inner fire to be like, you know what? I'm actually going to do it again. And really running away from, from you know difficulty, so to speak, is totally the opposite of what we should be doing. I don't, I don't want to be kind of like preaching here as if I'm kind of better, but it's just really from my experience, I see that we really have to be going against things that really push our comfort zone out. Yeah, when people say millennials are more you know, privileged, partially, yes, it is for that, but it's a byproduct of where we're actually living. I think we're, yeah. our generation is... This is not to be a victim by any stretch of the imagination. It's just it's incredibly difficult for people that aren't in this generation to be able to relate. You know, the old ones seem to be, oh, yeah, our generation was better. But if you go back, it was pretty much the same generation, baby boomers and then uh, generation Y, whatever. It's the same thing. Every single generation has its unique set of challenges and problems. And these ones right now, the people that have no skills, social skills, I think Simon Sinek, they had an amazing start with Y. Yeah, start with why. He was talking about how difficult it is for youngsters right now to really build self-esteem just because everybody tells them from the very beginning, oh, you can do everything. You end up in reality like I did, slap in the face, and then people you know, commit suicides and all these kind of things. So, yeah, I don't think it's, yes, we're soft, but we're really also tackling a set of challenges that previous generations haven't really dealt with. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I think that people... The younger generation, uh, millennials especially, don't have a patient and also don't like no and they give up because they are conditioned everything to get instantly. Because they grew up with internet, they grew sure. up with cell phones and they instantly sure. press some button, Amazon ships the product. You click here, you learn the course, for example. I don't mm -hmm. know, for social media, you do not have to do anything. Just press button, go live, talk. And mm -hmm. you're a star. You want a girl, there is some kind of application, Tinder. I never use it, but you swipe yeah, left, yeah. right? That's what Simon Sinek said. I've heard about that yeah. application as well, yeah. yeah. I've used it, but yeah. Yeah, I, I don't even know how to use it, but you go so left, right, you find the match, something, you start conversation, and it's done. I mean, it's easy. It's like yeah. instant gratification. It's if dopamine you get, no, hits, right? It's yeah, like dopamine. what he's saying in, in biology, is just getting this dopamine hit all the time of, okay, I can order pizza straight away. I don't yeah. have to go out and really work for it. I can get the girl or guy, whatever it is. Uber and all these kind of things is just really instant gratification. Facebook, the amount of likes that you get and like checking your almost like religiously your phone. These are very, very bad habits that... And also at the same time, you're kind of working with technologies that is being designed by some of the smartest people in the world. Yeah. So everything is done in a, such a way that it really keeps you coming back for more, just like a, a drug. Yeah. So we're like basically digital crack. Yeah. I'm not sure if this, maybe I just coined a term, but yeah. Yeah, okay. maybe I'm coining a term, remotepreneurs. <laughs> That's the new breed of entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. everything is going to be done remotely, or most of it because of technology. Sure, for sure. Yeah, for okay. Sure. So I'm curious, how did you transition from 
from Disney uh, University to being a digital nomad, starting building your companies remotely? How did that happen? So at the time when I was making, trying to try to build this business, high ticket dropshipping in the US, I opened up a company, I started okay. owning suppliers, whilst in university. So I always wanted, I was kind of really drifting towards that lifestyle. Okay. However, afterwards, somewhere along the, the way, my third year of university was incredibly difficult. Like a breakup with the girl that I was in love with, uh, university final year, exams, coursework. I was doing an uh, apprenticeship mm-hmm. with these guys, trying to build a business, full-time university. So yeah, it was too much. So I got introduced to this guy who at the time was kind of a mentor, if you will. That's not a good thing. You really should find mentors. Like most people should really look for that. So he was starting a startup, a real estate startup. And I always wanted to understand, okay, what's this? I've seen the kind of corporate world, this whole digital remotepreneur stuff is somewhere out there, although I'm not really sure how to make it with that. So I kind of fall in this like, okay, certainty is here. This guy really knows, seemingly knows what he's talking about. And uh, I ended up working for him in a startup that's what's called Property Flock at the time. So real estate and, you know, helping, uh, basically the whole gist was that you, we, you know, amalgamate different social media channels like Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, mm-hmm. for you to be able to find a trusted connection. So you've done a business with an estate agent. I am looking for an estate agent. I see you and you have a connection. So I, I connect with him, something like that. Okay. And that's when the first time I experienced my f- super strong burnout, like okay. to the point where I'd go to the toilet, I look up and I start crying. Wow. Yeah, I was just like not really enjoying what I was doing. Uh, not to mention at the time, the, afterwards, the company went uh, broke. They didn't pay me for two, two and a half months. Oof. Telling all these kind of things which weren't really true. And uh, you're in London, man. You're in London like I'm a, like, a dro- like a college guy that just finished university. I could have done, uh, I want a minimum wage. Saturday, Sunday, again, some of it, it was my fault because I was taking calls and really just being so committed. Like Saturday, Sundays, I'll, I'll take calls and like, yeah, I'll do whatever it takes, no problem. To the point where I'm just like burn out, no money left. I'm thinking, okay, what do I do right now? The thing that really saved my ass at the time is I, basically how we started another business afterwards, is I had a, um, a house. Okay. So I, I borrowed money from people. I borrowed maybe 3,000 pounds or 4,000 pounds okay. to pay for the money sorry, the rent and the deposit for a house that I was I wanted to fill up with other people so I don't pay rent, basically. Seeming like this, but trying to make profit out of it or not, mm-hmm. or not live without rent. This is a very common practice in London. So I think at the time, that was really the thing that really saved my ass. Like not being able to, not having to pay for, I had to commute an hour and 30 minutes each way, but that's okay. But that really saved my ass at the time. So fast forward, we started, uh, um, I worked in another startup afterwards and we started this, this company that I was doing uh, real estate. And then fast forward another year or so, again, another burnout. And I'm just like, okay, screw this. I'm taking a loan to come to London, to come mm-hmm. to Thailand, because I was here before because one of my business partners was getting married. I'm taking a loan and uh, I want my ticket to Thailand. I was just like, okay. I quit the job and within one week already booked the flight to come here. Uh, before go, we transition to Thailand. Can you tell me about burnouts? Because I've experienced personally burnout and it's, it's quite difficult because you're committed to do something so much and it doesn't work out or you're working too much and then you, mm. you feel like terrible. Can you tell mm. me, you said you were, you were crying. Why do you think we experience burnout? 
Like, why is that happening? Like, are we pushing us too 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 much, or we just see that what we were building like it's not true or not not realistic? Like, why do you think? At the time, I was with especially with the startup, I was married so much to the idea that I was like almost like a blind follower, right? Okay. Like, I'll follow this guide to the end of the world. That's kind of one of my a flaw, but also one of my strongest skill sets at the same time. I'm incredibly loyal. Okay. So when I saw that that happening and really kind of you know, lies and not getting paid and kind of this manipulation going on. I can certainly speak from my experience. I think it's a couple of things. One is that you are kind of so blindly married to this idea not to realize, oh, you should be looking after yourself. But also it's the main reason I think is not setting proper boundaries. Okay. What I mean by this is taking up calls after 8 p.m. in the evening, Saturdays, Sundays, working all the time, Doing things, I was kind of stressing out most of the time as well, rather than really being super productive. So it's a very kind of twisted, twisted sense of being productive, but actually not really, but stressing about it, and it, get, it gets into this like super vicious cycle. So I think it's really setting boundaries. After what time do you say no? I'm actually need to relax. I need to put a little bit self love here. Really look after this vehicle. That's probably the most valuable tool you're gonna ever have, and really having some me time really some me time with myself, not thinking about work. But uh, yeah, I think life experience taught me to, to really set boundaries. Right now, Sunday is my non-negotiable fuck off work. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be working. I'm just going to be uh, kind of enjoying, enjoying things, even though it's kind of working on two projects at the same time. Yeah, so, so basically just set boundaries until when you will work. After that, you need like... Clearly communicate expectations as well to whether it's business partners, employers, employees, uh, that when we're working, we're working. My attention is there 100%. But after a certain hour or Saturday, Sunday, whatever, actually, I'm not going to be picking up any calls. So if if it is something urgent, I'll pick it up on Monday. Well, I have a similar philosophy when somebody I work with, he started asking me questions and it's like I tune out. It's like no work. I just say... Don't ask me questions today because I'm stupid. Aha, uh-huh. okay, okay. It's like, I'm stupid. <laughs> I'm stupid. Don't ask me. Okay. And I really am stupid. I mean, mm-hmm. I just like click mm-hmm. off and I'm stupid. Sure. For simple questions. <laughs> I got you. Yeah, so th- that's one of the things, boundaries I like. When I experienced burnout, I started this life insurance. That's when I started to become a true sales professional to learn the, the trade. And master the trade. The company really taught me, like professionally, how to be a salesperson. Like taught through seminars, books, uh, mentors we we did did had. And I truly fall in love with the product. And I was like freak. I was working probably 14, 16 hours, passionate. Like this, everybody should have this life insurance in Macedonia. Why doesn't people yeah, yeah, understand yeah. Wow. me? You know, it was like. Mm-hmm. I went from house to house, probably by, I don't know, thousands and thousands wow. of in-house presentations with people. People were arguing between each other, like, why did you invite him? I didn't care. I was like, okay. <laughs> wow. Long, wow. Slowly, slowly, mm-hmm. slowly. Mm-hmm. So I was like waking up 4 a.m., 5 a.m., going to the butcher shop. Like, when can we do presentation with a guy that, I, that sold me a meat? I'm free at 5 a.m. Okay. And wow. I, I done a presentation wow. in a butcher shop. Wow. Respect. Respect. Casino. In a what? casino manager. Everybody's what? gambling. I'm <laughs> presenting life insurance. My <laughs> You're a freak, dude. I was that much. Mm. I was that much into the, the game, but 
as I started selling and as I started basically learning about finance, I kind of learned that the product that I am so passionate about, it's not totally realistic what, what I was taught to say. I was believing, but I started to see that the product, life insurance, saving money for long term, it's not that good of a product for saving purposes only. Because inflation, I started understanding inflation. And I was like, okay, so if I sell this and in the next, let's say, 25 years, they leave 25, 30,000 euros, they will get 15,000 euros back. But adjusted for inflation, they will actually lose money. So that's when I started questioning the, the product. I wasn't anymore sold, but I continued the hustle. I continued to work that hard, but I was I didn't have the passion. I, I was talking with you know half half power that that I believe for the product. Mm. So I started to experience burnout and anxieties, and I couldn't properly breathe. I mean, it, it was horrible, no, I, and I couldn't I close any more deals. Any more deals. I mean, I was technically knew everything what I said. I listened after thousands of presentation, like in person. But I couldn't sell. And, and then when it was my burnout, depression and everything, it's because I lost belief in the product. Mm. Maybe if, if it was the right product, I would continue to work with, with years. Mm -hmm. That's what I, my personal experience with, with burnouts. Mm -hmm. You stop believing or it's not higher purpose that you're doing that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And also if you're doing that like far too long, yeah, you, you will experience burnout. Mm. Yeah, I can relate to all the things that you said. Yeah, man. Different, different story, different vehicles, but similar kind of results. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why we are a good combination. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we synced. <laughs> For sure. I mean, yeah. I think, well, especially when you have experiences like these, you kind of relate on another level with a person, especially when it's like so intimate, especially with burnouts yeah. and you know having been through really the the lows of the lows. I find it's very easy to relate to people because oh, okay, he had a similar thing that I did there, so like yeah. instant rapport. Yeah, exactly. Well, one of the things I learned in, in insurance is mm -hmm. a report. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. sure. But this to. is genuine. I mean, that's that's what, what it happened. So I had to figure out the way and I found freelancing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just curious how you, you came then to, to Thailand to, to go back on the subject. And uh, is it Chiang Mai or some, somewhere else? Yeah, at the time I was in Chiang Mai in okay. um, entrepreneurial house similar like this. Okay. So this was kind of the vibe. I bonded a lot of with, with friends there, really. I don't think I could have wished for a better start. At the time, for me, it was just like, oh, you know, people working on their own thing. This is amazing. And um, that's how I met one of my business partners at the time. I was trying to do uh, FBA, so selling on Amazon, okay. which I did. Lost money there, really didn't, didn't do my proper due diligence. Got some listings banned due to infringement and patents and all these kind of things. So I didn't I did manage to sell everything, but I lost overall money on that. And then we started a business with a, a buddy of mine. He was doing dropshipping, AliExpress. Mm -hmm. And then that really took off, like took off in a big way. Okay. So can you explain us a little bit like took off? What does it mean like took off? What what do you define took off? Like I, I assume it's a good success, but so he was making making money already with dropshipping okay. with with um, this kind of AliExpress, which is probably very popular. Uh, your listeners, yeah, Shopify, yeah, would know about that. And then we started. Okay, let's let's test out the store. I worked on a store already, which didn't work. He worked on twelve stores before wow. one, the, one of his worked out. So he he was like super persistent. Like shout out to Unique if you if you're watching this. 
So yeah, incredible work ethic. Me and him kind of clicked straight away because you were like, okay, if we're the five AMers, we're the five AMers. So we work like crazy, crazy hours, man. It was it was fun, but also super exhausting at the same time. So he knew already Facebook ads and how to do things. I had a little bit more experience with operations, so mm-hmm. though he kind of taught me a lot of things about how to build a store, what to put there, products, all these kind of things. And then within a month, I think we hit forty thousand revenue, and wow. then the next month we hit. 120,000 revenue. Wow. And then it was like, yes, six figure months for a few months. Nice one. So, yeah, I think within at the time I announced that I'm going to do a challenge in June, I think before I left London, okay. I just put it online to really make, make a claim, make a stake. Most, most people, Martin included, advised me don't do it. You're going to ruin your reputation or just you're going to look like a fool. Me being me and like super. <laughs> prideful and very kind of like you know i if i if i decide something i'm gonna do it regardless of what people say so i said okay i'm gonna announce a zero to 10k a month challenge i don't know how i'm gonna do it but within six months from now i'm actually making a claim zero clue i didn't know people i didn't know what's gonna happen like how fba is gonna pan out and then within six months uh december i think 24th i posted this video that we made like 400 or something thousand dollars and that was roughly a little bit more than just over 10k a month wow nice so, one. yeah nice one so we was... first figure it out later and tell it to the world <laughs> yeah that was more of a also a thing for me I, even if i didn't hit that goal for example it's really the journey who you become as a person throughout there rather than i make a bold claim i hit it so what it's really it's never that's the most counterintuitive thing that people i think don't get especially if they, they haven't had experience with that it's not so much about hitting those goals. It's really who you become. Do you become more resourceful? Do you become smarter? Do you become more resilient? Do you become more stress-prone or less stress-prone? Or all these kind of personal qualities that you build. Because really, at the end of the day, it's you executing this. You getting yeah. those results. Yeah, that, that's kind of how everything started. This is how the, the experience with the e-commerce was. Okay. So, so basically, you came here to Chiang Mai. You connected with something like this, a villa, people working together. I assume they started influencing on you positively, obviously. Uh, vice versa, me on them yeah. and then they on me. So it was just like, wow, this is amazing. Like, I really enjoyed the, the culture here, the food here. Just socializing was amazing. Like, there's so many nice places. And for me, it's, for me, it's a routine. I get into a routine. I work, I train, I eat, and I sleep. That's it. Okay. So on the contrary, this is a nice one that we, we can talk about routine. That's one of the things you told me here. I'm like a grandpa. Pa, I just do I am a grandpa, yeah. yeah. <laughs> people, people look at me like this handsome young 29-year-old boy. Yeah. <laughs> man, rather. But uh, I'm really like, I'm like a, with a 50-year-old mindset. I'm just yeah. thinking long-term, I need to do my routine. I need to meditate today. I need to put in the work. I need to go train. If I don't train, I get really not, not a pleasant person to be around. But uh, yeah, and most of the time I'm just like zoned in. Yeah, yeah, that, that's true. I brought him a rocky and it's three weeks here. He didn't. Uh, did you try it? No, we will try after the interview. We will try it after the interview, the rocky. Maybe even during the interview, no problem. Yeah, we can do that as well. <laughs> so the routine. This is something that most people that are considering to go remotely and become a remotepreneur or a digital nomad, they are watching the videos, Instagram, YouTube that... Here, everything is amazing that you're going to go on the beach. You open up the laptop, do five-minute work, and you're rich. Is that true, or you just need to hammer it to set up the right expectation to the people that are listening to or watching this? 
So there's a couple of things. This is a, I, I'm making a very clear distinction between digital nomads who are freelancers and kind of doing maybe graphic design or okay. not, not picking up. This is not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just reality or yeah. SEO, these kind of things. You can have a mindset like this where you're kind of living paycheck to paycheck or have a couple of clients and be doing things. I'm talking more of really more strictly business. And that's how I see a really an entrepreneur, someone that's really building a business rather than just a freelance practice. Nothing wrong with that. I'm speaking from that perspective. Yeah. So I think you can have a, a lifestyle like this. You still have to work a lot. My perspective, I think our perspective, really what we're trying to build, you just need routine. Yes, you're going to have these like mini snapshots of if you, hear, if you see a timeline of the day, and Instagram is like a mini snapshot of what's actually happening. Oh, a nice meal. Oh, a nice scenery. But then for the, the rest 20, 23 hours and 59 minutes, for me, it's just zoning, doing the same thing. If I'm not outside in meetings or giving interviews or talking to people or being on calls, I'm working, eating, training, that's it. Yeah. And I definitely confirm that because I'm living here with him in the same villa. That's <laughs> I what feel he's like doing. I felt actually a little bit bad because I'm like, I, I try to be a good host, but sometimes I'm overwhelmed so much with work that I'm like, I'm just like zoning and maybe a little bit antisocial at times. Yeah. Just because, yeah, there's so many things that needs to be done. I mean, no problem. I don't take it. Mm -hmm. as, as you know, I'm doing here interviews, working, preparing the speech for the presentation, everything. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of similar. Sure. So routine, it's one of important things. How do you, this is my personal question. I believe a lot of the audience have, like, how do you build a routine remotely? Like, how can you do that? Because I built a routine when I'm in, in my home, swimming or doing push-ups or meditation. But sure. since I changed my environment, I kind of slowly, like, I can I, I won't do it today. And, and it's just like, I'll lose mm -hmm. it. How can I build a routine remote? So I think when people people think about you know remote preneurs and digital nomads, it's not so really so much the, the flashy lifestyle that people think it is, like traveling all the time. I personally, if I'm if I'm in a place I want to stay at least minimum three to four months, minimum, okay. minimum. Because the first one or two weeks is, is a bit of a novelty, you wanna understand, you know, maybe do all the typical touristy stuff. But other than that, for me, especially when I have commitments towards other people that I don't wanna let down. I'm like, you know, sorry guys, I cannot make it. You say no to all the social stuff and you come down and start working. So there's always going to be a period of, of kind of really settling in and really figuring out, okay, where's the good restaurants? Where's the good social talks that I can go and maybe do some networking? Where are the good cafes we can actually go and actually do some work with good internet? Maybe some sites to see on Sunday. And afterwards, after three weeks, maybe you kind of really fall in a good routine. Mm -hmm. So like, where's the gyms? Uh, what, what gyms are good? kind of meet some local people or people that actually been living here for a while. And then you're like, oh, okay, now I can switch things, switch really the engine. So I think the first two to three weeks is difficult for most people. That's what I found to be optimal for me. I give myself, okay, if you need to go out, go out a little bit, but then most of the time you got to be working in. Okay. Okay. That's a nice tip. So basically, yeah, I can relate there. Basically, when you come to a new place, you want to come to Chiang Mai, if you're planning to work and develop something like a business entrepreneur career doesn't matter whatever you start mm -hmm. try to do at least three to four months in the same place without moving that's one of the things that that's something that i found to be uh to work really well for me yeah it makes sense because it, it takes time to build a routine and a habit 
It's a time. It's mm-hmm. not like mm-hmm. it's a skill you're going to click and learn it. You need to repeat. Depends it. on your lifestyle. Again, I'm trying not to kind of put blanket statements out there. This is yeah. not necessarily going to work for everyone. For some people, even one week is enough, and then they start working. But there's going to be a, a period where you're kind of settling into. Yeah, really, that's true. It's that's a true. new environment. That's true. When I came here in in the villa, I was like. No scooter, where should I go, what to mm-hmm. do? And I was just like losing time and it, it's fine. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I like that idea. When you come to the new place, just take first one, two weeks, how much you need and just do all the things that you want to do. The good stories that, that are on the Instagram. Go visit sure, attractions, sure. go uh, taste food, restaurant, even get drunk if you want to do that. Mm-hmm. Doesn't just get matter. it out of the system. Just man. get it out of the system and then you just settle down and become a grandpa. Become puff. <laughs> <laughs> Handsome grandpa. Handsome um, grandpa. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, even, even on Sundays, we can still go and do like airsoft, for example, yeah, or I do climbing amazing. or whatever it is. But um, it's just in, in moderation, you know, in moderation. For most okay. of the time, it's a pretty, pretty standard routine. People okay. even ask me all the time, obviously, because they don't know what the lifestyle is here and um, they don't really see me that much. But when I post something on Facebook and I get all these comments, oh, you're living the lifestyle and oh, you, you know, you're, you're amazing, you're probably dead, it's always sunny and all these kind of things. But the reality is, regardless of where you are, there's going to be some good things and there's going to be not so good things, right? Of course. The air pollution, for example, or the fact that you're actually working and you actually don't show it to the world because that's not what people really like to do, to like to see rather. So it's always important to, before making a judgment, really take a make a, you know check yourself is this actually really what is happening there can you really be doing this 24 hours no but most people don't think like that most most people like just you know go on autopilot and assume that you're having the time of your life That's which true. which is not a bad thing it's just reality you know it's just really being more mindful more considerate to say hey is this what your lifestyle is really all about like i i never got this question i think most people like assume automatically oh yeah man <laughs> i'm coming to Thailand. cool man yeah. And then they kind of see, oh, but I thought you're doing this, but are you actually working all the time being antisocial? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I want to build two, three mm. companies at the same time. So mm, mm, mm. Working on two, three projects. Yeah, well, that's one of the things that I wanted to, to point out through the podcast, through interviews, live interviews and experience. It's you are two, three years a, a digital nomad, a remotepreneur, to set up the expectation mm. right. Yeah, you can have an amazing life. You can enjoy the beach or go out, etc. But most of the time it's going to be the same. You're going to work just not from home. You're going to be surrounded with a network of people that are like-minded, that are friendly, that you can social and everybody's open here to, to help you out. And nobody's going to say, oh, that's impossible. You're dreaming like they're doing mm-hmm. in, in, I mean, my close network and my mm-hmm. country. Mm-hmm. So that, that's one of the, the benefits, but it's not only to, to travel and, you know, do cool pictures. I think it's, for me, really, it's a lot, a lot of it is less about traveling as it is about building some kind of a, a, a sense of freedom, however yeah. you wish to define that. So, yes, traveling is a part of it, and I try to do this a little bit on, on Sundays, but for, for the most part, I'm, I'm really committed right now for the next two to three years to really build a super solid foundation mm-hmm. that's going to provide me later in the years when I'm, you know, with, with family, building, you know, building a family, kids, et cetera, et cetera. It's really allow me to, to have the same lifestyle, if not even better lifestyle, rather than just traveling right now. Because, yeah, right now I don't even feel like I'm putting in the work right now. 
Yeah. Obviously, this is for the sense of not necessarily to make so much money as I see that it's purely a vehicle to be able to affect other people and really affect change. I think that that's actually the, probably the most, the most valuable currency is how you make other people feel when they're around you. And money is, is, is one way to, to, really, to, to really enhance that, that through the different experiences, through being able to afford something like this or, in my case, lose a lot of money through something like this. But it's, again, the experiences, you know, the people that you meet, the memories that you build together, that's really, oh, that Pav guy, I remember that guy with a funny Eastern European accent. Yeah, he, he's really cool. He's really cool. And then I, that, that, that's the impression I try to leave with, with people. I see your point. It's not just building a company and get the money. It's just creating value to oh, the that, people. That's the, the least. The and, least and the money is byproduct. It, they will come if you provide value. Yeah, I mean, again, counterintuitive thing. Uh, I multiple times have to, you know, have to have to admit that I've been multiple times in the mindset of okay, let's get twenty k, thirty k, fifty k a month profit. But really, it's just like, okay, are you getting a lot, a lot of like value from this? Are you getting a lot of fulfillment from this? Rather mm -hmm. than being able to impact people in some way and still get the you know financial benefit. So I'm quite selective with what I put my time in right now, since yeah. there's really not that much time left. And it's I try to think long term. Would I be invested in this long term? Do I believe in it? Etc. Etc. So yeah, yeah. The, the, does it work to jump in and go all in or not? Yeah, because most of the times I've, I've been jumping into projects without really considering most of the thing, most of these things rather. Now to the point where maybe I've had some success and people, you know, ask questions or want to meet up, especially right here where I try to build a kind of a, almost a mini influencer status. This is not coming from me from other people, but that was the whole point to, to really be here. And kind of have a blueprint to that I can lift and put it in another city that I go to, and really be, become like super connected. Tell me a little bit about yeah. uh, the companies that you're building, your 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 ventures. Like, what what are they, and what are the value? What you provide services? Sure. So one of the companies is called Digital Hero Recruitment. Okay. We basically it's a one stop shop for providing VAs to our businesses. So okay. online online staff, virtual assistants, anything from data entry all the way to paid advertisement, paid mm -hmm. search, etc., etc. And that's kind of the initial idea that we set out with, just because me and two of the partner partners that I'm doing this, Dan and Jay, we all had experience in e-commerce, whether it's FBA, Kindle, uh, Amazon, or dropshipping. We kind of, you know, I've I've been hiring VAs for maybe the last seven years. Okay. And I know how difficult it is to really build a solid team, how to train these people, how to vet these people. So we thought, okay, you know what? There's so many e-commerce guys out there. See, this might be an actually a good niche because most people don't really know how to build a team, how to yeah. write a job description, how to really kind of paint this picture of their company. So that's what we started. And I think... It's something that a lot of people, I think, could benefit just because everybody wants their time back. As an entrepreneur, you make a very classical mistake that I've been also guilty of, is to really, really be working in your business as opposed to working on it. You know, having this mentality that you can do everything yourself. You are probably the most qualified, the best candidate in the world that you can do every single, single thing yourself. And then you check your watch and all of a sudden it's like midnight. Shit, where did they, where, where did they go? So... It's really about giving giving time back to entrepreneurs. That's okay. kind of that's one of the companies. Wow, nice. So so you basically 
people that are listening or watching, they are considering to build a remote team to outsourcing. They don't know how to do it or they had bad experience with it or they just simply don't want to do it because mm-hmm. they want to exchange money for time. You basically do all of them. You just find the right person through your vetting system. Can, can you explain like how that works if sure. somebody approaches or sure. wants to approach you? Sure. I think most people think is a, you know, hiring people is a really a hiring process, but it's actually an li- elimination process. What I mean by this is, like, if you make a really good job description and you really paint the picture of the amazing company that you really believe in, that you're really building, you're naturally going to get a lot of people. Unless it's something really isolated, kind of siloed position that you're looking for, like, say, like podcast editor with a specific skill set, you know, very niche thing. So most of the time, if it's a very generic thing, uh, it's something that is very common in terms of skill set, you're going to get a a lot of potential candidates. So the idea is to really put filters there to really be able to get the most qualified, really to be end up working with A players. Because I think long-term A players can probably do the work of two or th- even three B players. So how do you do that? You do it through different filters. You know, make, make sure to have a good job description, certain questions that they need to answer. Afterwards, okay, what, what are their skill sets? Do they actually match what we're looking for? Mm-hmm. Can they back it up? Then we do some tests with them, okay, IQ tests, English tests, maybe even test them on a certain task. Then we have an interview. Then the promise is that within seven days, we get you up to three highly qualified candidates for you to use. You can contact three of them. You can use all three of them for a one-off fee. In the likely event that after 90 days, you're not satisfied, we'll find you a replacement for free. Okay. Okay. So basically, you do the heavy lifting. Pretty much, Pretty for hiring much. person. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, you can use that in the pitch. I will. <laughs> so how many filters do the person go until you just give it to the customer, like, this is these three candidates are really good? You three or four. Three or four. Three and or then four. They have an interview with them just to see, okay, yeah, everything, yeah, everything that uh, they said, they did, they are. And also just see who you have the most chemistry, who do you think is the most relevant candidate, for the position. And like I said, if you choose all three, you like all three, you end up using all three. Yeah. Okay. That's a nice setup. And I see that, for example, I work on Upwork and I also do hiring and also I am a freelancer. So I know both sides of the equation. And many people just write some short description and expect to find, for example, a good salesperson or a good VA. And they, I see on the proposal there are like hundreds of applicants like job posts like that in interviewed mm. i mean that's too much and you probably won't end up hiring anybody because you will get tired after the 10th one mm-hmm. so you just say like hire us we do have i personally have like seven years of experience in hiring remote team we are going to find the perfect candidate that match your criteria and we are going to filter them through four stages, three or four stages, and at the end, it's your decision that you're going to hire. So the person that is going to get your service, you're going to just give them the right candidates and they just need to make decision on the last interview. We are going to work and probably that that is going to be a long term. Yeah, that, that's, the, that's the idea behind it. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I see, your, see your point. I mean, 
that's quite helpful. And they just pay like one-time fee? How does that work? Yeah, it's a, it's a one-off fee that, okay. that they pay. Depending on the type of tier, we have different tiers. Yeah, People who are starting entry, then you have kind of mid-level operations, project managers, then you have paid media buys, for example. Mm -hmm. So all of that is associated to a different price tag. And uh, yeah, it's a one-off fee that you pay from the very beginning. And then uh, you have the guarantee and then you have the promise that within seven days, get you up to three highly qualified candidates. Okay, that's a nice one. From the perspective, I'm a, let's say, Amazon seller. I have seven, six-figure business. It's stupid for me to waste my time, probably 20, 30 hours, just to find a simple VA. Just pay you guys. You figure it mm -hmm. out. After seven days, I'll interview three guys. Maybe I'll hire all of them or just one. Mm -hmm. If that's I'm not great. satisfied after 90 days, you, you bring another free. Yeah, I mean that, that that's a good deal. That's uh, a good deal. I like to think I like to think so as well. Um, and I always say this to to people, you know, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, far, you need really need a team. So it's yeah. really getting outside of this solo entrepreneurship mindset and really start looking. Okay, how can I build bridges with other people mm -hmm. for them to help me execute the vision that I have? Nice one. And if somebody from the listeners would like to learn a little bit of your company, how it was, where can they find you? Sure, they can go to digitalherorecruitment.com. Okay. We can probably put it in the notes somewhere. Yeah, in show notes. Um, and then you can see the, the type of services we offer, the different tiers, and also the price tags. So yeah, we can probably even give some kind of a discount to your listeners. Even so, better. Okay. Yeah. Okay, no so, so guys, uh, if you want to learn a little bit or just check it out, his website, Digital Heroes Recruitment. Hero Recruitment. Hero yeah. Recruitment.com. Go to remotepreneurs.com website. Uh, just join the newsletter. After the interview, I'll just include in the show notes. And also uh, some kind of code that you can sure, just we'll, use. we'll provide a code for yes. some discount. Yeah, yeah so, some kind of code that you can just use for the discount and... and Use the services if you mm -hmm. like or just check it out. So go to remotepreneurs.com to get the show notes or if you want to check his website, digitalherorecruitment.com as well. Yes. Okay. And what was the other companies that you're also involved with? The other company is a video production company. It's okay. called Arete Media. Okay. So we specialize in video content and video production for high-end hotels. Although I think right now we we'll probably have to pivot things a little bit and really become more of a fully-fledged marketing agency. Okay. We just shot a couple of uh, big clients in Bali. And that's something we're specifically doing right now for hotels. But I think we're going to go into more like yachts or private jets or like real estate. But I think also with more of an analytical slash marketing perspective okay. since... I think it's quite difficult to compete only on video quality. Mm -hmm. If you have video quality with analytics and the distribution of it, which is the marketing, then I think it's a much, much better deal. So we're kind of in the midst of trying to maybe do a little a bit of a pivot there. Yeah. So you find the right solution. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Oftentimes, oftentimes you, you start up a business, unless it's a very simple, straightforward business model, you end up that what you start with won't be necessarily the thing that's going to end up making you money. Maybe six or 12 months down the road, mm -hmm. you had to do small pivots yeah. to end up in a position where you have a good product market fit. So keep it simply short. Yeah, the kiss, kiss. principles. Yeah, kiss principle. For, for the people that don't know. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that's a nice way of thinking when you're starting a business. So basically, 
Arrayat Arrayat Media. Arrayat Media. Arrayat Media is Arrayat in Old Greek or Latin, the perfection, something like that. I think it's it's French actually. It's French. Yeah, my my co-founder Martin did that, came up with the name. Okay. So I need to double, actually double check what what it actually means because he told me, but I kind of forgot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, in Latin, I know that Arrayate means uh, in pursuit of perfection. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe maybe that's the one. Maybe that's the one. That yeah, I think that's the one. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, where can people check if they have hotels? Arrayatemedia.com? Yeah, uh, arrayate-media.com is the, the website okay. right now. And then people can see our portfolio or people with... They they're interested. We're also looking for videographers. Okay. If they're interested in something like this, then give us a shout, and someone from the team is gonna get in contact. Okay. So so basically, you're helping hotels to express their resort or hotel or yacht in the future. Yeah. Through visual medias, through yeah. photography and yeah. and video. Martin actually started the company with the idea to really enable people and really encourage people to travel more. And yeah. I'm I'm a believer as well. I think it's one of the things that really helps you elevate consciousness and really see other different perspectives, different backgrounds. Really, there, there is, I think one of the things that really makes you rich is traveling. Yeah. Like really the experiences, the memories that you create, the people that you meet there. And just really makes you a, a lot more humble. So it really kind of broadens your horizon, if you will. Yeah. So that that's very appealing to me. That's also what I'm trying to do with my kind of personal brand slash pet project on the side, Man With Purpose is to really encourage more people to to do things like that. I agree there with you. And also on the cover, if you notice on the podcast, there is like a border. Sure. Above my picture and, and mm-hmm. uh, the name. So the border means get out of the box. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And traveling is actually the best way to do it because I was in the box while in, in Macedonia and believing in what they taught me to, to believe until I just get outside of the box Travel to United States, all European countries, Zanzibar, mm-hmm. Philippines, everywhere, Thailand. It just you learn through traveling and talking to other cultures, people, and their experience that things are a little bit different than the the mm-hmm. BS medias, mass medias are selling to mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. So yeah, get outside of the box. Sure. Through traveling. Okay, and you basically through video and photography help people. Just choose the right hotel or resort experience before they book yeah. it, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah, we try to put the marketing or the or the experience really put it on steroids through making like super inspirational uh, video production content for them. Okay. So, so the initial idea was Martin, right? Yeah, yeah. So he started it with the vision of really encouraging more people to travel. Then I was like, okay, I'll join see how things work out. And uh, here we are right now, just closing clients left and right. Nice one, like that. Let's uh, talk a little bit about Martin because he's our common connection, how I end up here. It's an interesting story. And I'm going to share a couple of tips that I actually come here. I'm recording this, done the, the, the speech and everything. So mm-hmm. I met Puff through, through Martin and I met Martin through Upwork. Upwork is a platform for hiring freelancing. So mm-hmm. one day I basically applied to a job post that he he posted. He was looking for uh, something related to sales. And because I'm giving a sales consulting, I just applied. <laughs> he he uh, replied back saying like, hey, Philip, nice to, to see you again. I didn't know that you have so much uh, sales experience. We should talk definitely. 
If you remember, you helped me out with some kind of videos on Reddit and some guy Luke introduced us. I mean, I didn't have a clue what he was talking about, okay. but he mentioned sales and I was like, well, why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just let's schedule a call. And an important thing and tip that I'm going to say, I replied back within one hour. So we can schedule the call and he doesn't forget about the conversation. So that's one of the things. On the interview, we open up the cameras and, you know, Martin was watching me like this. Like, uh, you changed. That's what he said. <laughs> you kind of had more hair than the last time. Uh-huh. And I was like, yeah, the people changed. And I was watching Martin. And I was like confused. Like what he's talking about? I never yeah, worked yeah. with this guy. And then I asked like, can you remind me what exactly we were working? And he was talking about social media, how I helped video editing, uh, posting. And I was like, I never done that in my life. And I'm like, how can you? I mean, you're Philip Stankowski from Kumano. Yeah, I am. Uh-huh. And then I realized... <laughs> There are two Philip Stankowski on Upwork. Oh! Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same town. He has more hair. <laughs> I just pictured Martin's, Martin's uh, like face right now. Yeah, no, yeah, he's exactly. scratching his head like, yeah. did I contact you? Yeah, I mean, he's, he was watching me like that. Like, wow. You changed. Wow, wow, wow. wow. You kind of have less hair now. Don't get me wrong. I was like... Oh, yeah, I was here. Wow. And then I realized that it's the other Philip Stankonski that that he worked. And I just told him, dude, there are two guys from the same town, from with the same name. Doing sales. No, he was the social media Uh and the video. Ah, He's the one that he actually worked. And some guy, Luke, introduced him. And I'm the sales guy. So he he basically just messaged the wrong guy. And it happens all the time on Mm Upwork. Wow. We started to laugh. We built a good connection. I offered him my sales consulting. I pitched my sales consulting. He liked the idea, but said like, not now, we need to close some clients in in one month. I mean, regular one, I'm out of budget. I didn't give up. I continued to follow up. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things. And probably I followed two, three times after that. He said like, I'm going to this Nomad cruise. I'm going to give a keynote speech there, digital Nomad community. So that was interesting. And along the way, I got unfortunately rejected for visa to go to United States for Grand Cardone's uh, growth country. So I was so pissed about countries and restrictions and boundaries and all the BS. And I was shocked and I was so negative. So I decided to use the negativity as a fuel to create something positive. And then I just decided I'm working five years remotely. I built multiple location independent incomes. I don't depend anymore on the countries except my passport where I can go. So why I know that uh, as a digital nomad, you can go anywhere and there are people that don't depend anymore on the countries. Let's just do interviews and share the message to the world that the world is changing. So that's the idea how was born the Remotepreneurs podcast the actual that you're watching now. I did connect with Martin. Mm -hmm. So I go to my power base. That's another tip. Go to contacts that already have some kind of connections with you and can help out. I just asked Martin, probably after 14 follow-ups, I didn't give up. Mm -hmm. After 14 follow-ups, I just asked Martin, who do you know? Ask for referral. Who Mm -hmm. do you know in Chiang Mai, in Thailand, that is successful? And I can interview. I explained that it's about remote working, remote business. And he was like, uh, my best friend is there. 
he has a villa, puff, I'll introduce you. If he has a room, he will invite mm -hmm. you. He's a great guy, mm -hmm. etc. Like, okay. Then on Facebook, Martin made the introduction. I yeah. spoke with Puff. Mm -hmm. We connected. I explained him the podcast. And after that, he was really helpful. Also, Martin continued to, to help to schedule probably dozens of interviews so far. Mm. You ask me if you want to do a speech even. I didn't even know I can do that. Let's do the speech. Sure. Yeah, yeah I've done the speech. If you go on my, my website, remotepreneurs.com, I'll include that in the show notes. You can... Take a look. I think it was good. Mm -hmm. Oh, it was amazing. Like he, yeah, I think Philip is a natural. Like he said, he told me, oh yeah, I've never done a speech before, yeah. but I'm thinking, yeah, he's going to really do it. And he went there and out of the people that were there, there are probably like 35, 40 yeah. people maybe. I think they told him that he killed it. Like he was probably the the best speech that they've seen this year, like in a few, in a few weeks or even a few months. So yeah. I think you have a talent for that. You should continue nurturing that because you really have great authority. You just really killed it. Thank you. And thank you for setting it up. My pleasure. Yeah. And, and, and the speech was like what happened in, in a couple of weeks, in a couple of months before that. Mm -hmm. so it, mm -hmm. it was realistic. I wasn't talking theory. No, no, no really for happened. sure. For sure. Yeah. I think people connected really well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it was from, from my heart. It wasn't like something learned. So I was mm. just talking. Mm. Yeah. Thank, thanks for setting up. So, all of that that happened, I didn't know Martin. I actually never actually met him in person except on the on the camera. He connected me with Puff. Here I'm staying in, in amazing villa. I mean, the same you're watching from the social media and, and the, the YouTubes. I'm connected here with people that are like-minded. I feel like a, a home. You 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 are a great host, by by the way. I can understand you that you work. Thank you. That's why you you got the Rakia. <laughs> and all of this was. Uh, was realistic that happened because I committed first and figured it out later. Mm -hmm. I contact my power base, so that's one of the tips that you should do. Always try to to do something to the people that you know, mm -hmm. then go to the strangers. Second was uh, try to reply back as soon as possible. One hour is, is the rule, within one hour. Follow up, don't give up. It took me 14 times to schedule a call with him and then I had to follow up a couple of times mm -hmm. to be here and then ask who do you know ask for referral just do those four things and you will get so so bigger boost in sales that it's ridiculous and it's simple in sales and really anything that you're trying to do I think the more you keep persistent especially with entrepreneurs that they, they, you know they're busy people they, you're kind of playing yeah. a little bit on their significance part so I think sooner or later you're going to be noticed so even if people say no you know, you keep chasing, there's always something good that's going to come out of it. So yeah. you, sh you shouldn't give up, yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. So that's the story how I came up here. And as I said, Puff helped me to, to have like a star great startup here in the, in the community and mm. Chiang Mai. And it, it, it was a great connector. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah, I appreciate that. No problem. Okay, so Puff, what do you think needs to be improved in the remote community? Because you're two, three years You've seen a lot of digital nomads come and go. Some of them failed. Some of them posting only good pictures. What do you think specifically needs to be improved in the remote community so we can grow and, and become bigger? What you see seen so far that is quite often that happens here in, in Chiang Mai with digital nomads, for example? In, in terms of like community per se, I'm, I'm, I'm not too sure. Uh, Especially the, the lifestyle, money, networking, anything. I see a lot of people, like I, I was giving another interview like last week, I believe, about digital nomads. Whenever people 
choose to commit to this lifestyle, really have your money figured out per se. So okay. what I mean by this is like people come here with, a, let's say, $10,000 savings. Mm-hmm. Within six months, miraculously, they're down to two or 3000 left, which is you can't, you can't really spend that much money. I mean, you can, but really depends on your lifestyle. But really figure out, okay, what is actually going to be giving, giving um bringing me income that's okay. that's one of the things in terms of the community i think it's a pretty good community here there's there's quite a lot of social things that you can do you can give talks you can go and network with people obviously different scenes are different chiang mai is different bali is different yeah. vietnam is different what's the other place called uh in uh, colombia medellin uh, yeah so, medellin medellin, medellin, is also, medellin uh is also different but yeah i don't think necessarily something things to be changed i think i, I meant for the people that are would like to consider this lifestyle. So money would be the the, the yeah. The more figure out figure out why is it that you're coming. Like if you're living a, a base, for example, with you know certain security, certainty. What is it that you want to achieve? How okay. much time do you have right now? How, how not how much time, but also how much money you have? How much is that gonna stretch you? How much leeway do you have? Is it for six months? Fine. Okay. What what is it like? Similar like the zero to ten k a month challenge. Mm-hmm. I knew what I was what I was pursuing. Again, like you, no clue how I'm going to do it. But I think if you, if you know how if everything is so predictable, it's not really exciting. It doesn't really pull you towards something. But if you know, okay, I've, I've set a really audacious goal. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I'm really pulled towards that. I've, I've visualized, I really put my, my mind into that. Mm-hmm. The goal is, is big enough. If you know how you're going to achieve it, your goal is not big enough. It's not really motivating you and... If it's a very predictable sequence, it kind of takes out a little bit of the zest in, in life in the whole process, you know? Okay. So, yeah, figure out what is it that you want to do. Think about your money and also why are you doing this in the first place? What's your why? What is it that you want to achieve by being here? Is it more money? Fine. Is it more location dependence? Fine. Define that. Okay. Define it specifically. What it is, is it, how does it look like, you know? That was a nice point. So define the money, define why you want to do it. And how does it look like? What does, does the future look like? Look like like visualize. Yeah. Okay. R- write it down on paper. Like write it down, read it every day, if you will. I was, there, there was a point in my life that I was reading my yearly goals every single day. The first thing, I put it a pin next to my bed. Okay. I read my goals. And before I go to bed, I read my goals again. Nice. So almost becoming like mildly obsessed about this. So fellow remotepreneurs, if you are part of the remote community, you're a digital nomad, you're an entrepreneur, or simply you're stuck in the cubicle, you're watching the videos, you're thinking if I should do this remote lifestyle that everybody's talking. First, figure out your money right. Know how much money you have. Then uh, learn why you would want to come here. Write it down on the paper. Be like focused, be specific why you're coming. As I have in Chiang Mai, I'm coming to check out the community, to give a speech, to do the interviews, like mm. specifically that. Then I can do focus on the other stuff, the cool part that everybody's showing. And then the last thing that I would say, just do it at the end. Sure. Yeah. Pull the trigger and make the decision. I think only good things are going to come out of it. Exactly. Okay. Well, Puff, Thank it, you very much. it was great My interview. I here. think you gave a lot of value. Guys, one more time, if you want to receive our show notes, I will give a summarize with everything that we spoke, with all the links, with all the tips. Go to remotepreneurs.com. Once again, remotepreneurs.com. Probably here on the video, we will have a, a link also. 
Also, I will include the discount that Puff mentioned for his recruiting company. So if you want to find out how to outsource, you don't have a clue how to do it, you can hire these guys, he will sort it out. So again, go to remotepreneurs.com. I'll include everything in the show notes. And also, I would appreciate if you like the video to share it with your friend and, and subscribe. Okay, guys, thank you for watching or listening. And see you for the next week to talk with another successful remote preneur. Thanks. Bye bye. Thank you, guys. Peace out. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the podcast to be the first to hear new episodes. And if you feel that this episode provided you with value, we invite you to share this podcast with a friend that is trying to escape the matrix and create his or her own remote economy. Visit remotepreneurs.com and join the email list to receive this episode's show notes and a welcoming gift.